Well, good evening. Uh, my name is James Lim. I was uh, invited to speak on when and who shall I marry, or, or you know, as a Christian, who, who and when and who shall I marry? And as you'll see in a moment, um, you know, when to get married is, you know, there's Christian freedom there, but there's kind of a, a general consensus about uh, when's a good time to get married, you know, and, uh, and I thought, well, who, who to marry, you know, you can't answer that question in many ways without asking, how should I get married? You know, it's like, it's like putting the, 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 uh, the cart before the horse, I think. So I tried to combine all three of those elements into this evening's talk. Um, let, me, let me begin by asking, okay, asking how many of you are about 16 years and older and are not married and maybe hoping to get married someday? 16 and older, single, all the way up. Hands all the way up. Okay. Okay. All right. I know some of you guys didn't raise your hands. Uh, how many of you are parents of kids 16 years and old, or older who are single who may want to get married? Okay. All right. All right. Now, how many of you are, 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 are uh, parents all together and hoping someday in like 20 years or whatever they, they, they might get married? Okay. All right. Well, um, it was a, it, I felt like this was a, a, a kind of a, a harder task because it's hard to, to talk about things like singleness and marriage and, and how to date for younger kids. So what I, what I decided to do also was to gear my talk towards... Uh, my own daughters, 15 and 12, kind of the, the kind of talk that I wish my parents had given me when I was young, the kind of talk that, that other, you know, pastors and friends, you know, more, more uh, mature Christians, um, uh, I would have wished that they gave me at a time when, when I was uh, thinking about dating and marriage. So, um, so that's, that's kind of what my talk this evening is going to be about, and, and I'm probably going to stray from, from the outline that I um, uh, printed in the, in, the, in the booklet, but not too, not too far, hopefully. Well, let me just read a uh, short section from Genesis 2. You don't have to follow, you, you don't have to open with me, but just listen. Um, this is when, when the Lord uh, made Adam, and Adam is naming all the animals, and, and he realizes that there's no one like Adam to compliment him, and, uh, and so he's so he put Adam to sleep and pulled a rib out of his side, formed Eve, and then presented Eve to, to Adam. And, uh, and this, I think this is probably the, the first and only divinely intervening marriage arrangement. Not only in creation, but, but in, uh, in, in Scripture where God literally brings the woman to him. Uh, and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, I'm, I'm not going to teach only on this passage, but just wanted to let that passage be a jumping off point to, to the whole topic of, um, to the whole topic of, of when, how, and who I should marry. Well, imagine you were Jacob, right? Jacob, how many of you guys remember Jacob? Right? What do you remember about Jacob? What do you remember about Jacob? Anybody? Jacob the deceiver, right? Right? Well, if you remember the story, Jacob uh, was a usurper, and he went uh, to his uncle's land, the land of, of his uncle, and he, he met his cousin, and he fell in love with her, and, uh, and he ended up working for his uncle, and, uh, and his uncle said, okay, well, how can I pay you for all the hard work that you're, you're giving to me? And he said, well, let me work for you. And uh, when I'm done paying, or when, when you're done, I want to ask uh, for your daughter, Rachel, in marriage. And he said, okay, that's, let's do that. He worked hard. He worked hard for years and years and said, okay, I'm done. You know, can I, can I have Rachel as my wife? And, and uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob was like, okay, great. So, you know, they're, he thinks that, you know, they're, they're getting ready to get married. And, you know, they have, there's, they're not sure, but maybe it was in the cover of Dark. And, and they had the little wedding ceremony or whatever, however they did it then. Maybe there was a veil over the face. And, but Laban um, tricked Jacob, tricked Jacob, and instead of giving him Rachel to marry, um, he gave, he gave J- Jacob Leah. So imagine, imagine getting married to one woman and waking up the next day, and it's a different woman. Um, and... You know, what a shock that would have been. And one of the things that, that uh, why I tell the story is because sometimes, um, you know, over the years during my counseling, people feel like, like Jacob did probably when they woke up at some point in their marriage. They thought they married somebody, and, and they, they thought, I, I thought, I married my Rachel. And then at some point after the marriage, they, they wake up, and, and, and it's Leah. Right, uh, and and, and the, the sad part of the story is it's the same person. Uh, and, and the reason why I mention that is because I want to help us think about ways in which that doesn't happen. To to consider making the right choice and preparation as Christians to marry to to get to know and to marry the right person, um, so as to please the Lord, so as to be realistic about who you marry, and how to bring glory to the Lord in your marriage. And um, so, so let me begin. If, if you haven't said um, I do to, to the right person yet, right, if you're, if you're single tonight, uh, I hope that this, this talk will give you some food for thought. Um, Mr. Schroeder, Pastor Schroeder, asked me to talk about who I should marry, and so I t- entitled my talk, Finding Mr. and Mrs. Wright According to the Bible, um, or simply put, Christian dating that leads to marriage. So first, let me begin with a biblical theology of dating. Um, I know that's kind of a big word, but it's just kind of what the Bible teaches as a general whole from Genesis to Revelation about, about dating. So let me ask this question of you. What does the Bible say about dating? 
Have you ever done a uh, word study, looked up in the back of the concordance? Is there, is, there, is there a word dating in the D section of your concordances? Pastors, if you've done your, your, your logos or, or Bible, you know, Bible programs, when you, looked up, when you typed in dating, did you find any passages? Well, I haven't. I haven't. And uh, now let me ask this question. Does it mean that the Bible says nothing about dating? Right? Does it, does it mean it says absolutely nothing about Christian dating? Does it only speak to our lives as single people and then skip directly into marriage as if anything in between doesn't happen? Right? Uh, there is no direct teaching on dating uh, per se. Um, but by the way, you know, dating as we culturally experience it you know, in our day and age is, is, is a rather modern invention with some, you know, kind of patterns that have helped people uh, in common grace with just general wisdom about, about dating. Um, there's no Old Testament law on how to ask a girl out on a date. You know, and I know, I know some of you maybe wish there was, right? Uh, maybe in the New Testament, this is you know, you, you wish there was a section in there where Paul says, to you single men, this is how you ask a girl out on a date. Or, or, or a, you know, a young single woman, woman saying, you know, this is, how you ask a, or this is how you say yes or no to a young man when he asks you out. Uh, we don't see that in the Bible. Paul never talks about what to do on the first date or whether you should have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, the Bible only knows four kinds of, of male-female relationships, right? There's friend-to-friend. Parent-child, brother-sister, husband-wife, but no boyfriend-girlfriend, you know, how-to, right? But Pastor James, you know, um, if the Bible says nothing, then what does the Bible say about Christian dating? And my answer is everything. The Bible says everything about Christian dating because the Word of God is sufficient for all godliness, faith, and life, right? Right? Like and uh, for and it it gives us guidance and wisdom and principles and truths, uh, all grounded in the scriptures, and so yes, it does, yes, it does, and the reason it does is because dating. Because the Bible speaks to all of, of of faith and life, a whole worldview. Um, it 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 does so because it teaches us. How to, re- how to conduct ourselves in any and all kinds of relationships. And dating is a kind of premarital relationship. Right? I think uh, in our culture, we define dating as kind of like this, this, uh, um, this kind of twilight zone where we think the Bible doesn't say anything, so we can do whatever we want. But the Bible says you know, that, that, he, that the Bible defines what a marriage re- relationship ought to look like and ought to be. And, uh, and so if, if dating falls before that, then, then the Lord informs our dating relationships backwards. And I'll get into that in a moment. Richard Phillips, uh, in his very helpful book, Holding Hands, Holding Hearts, um, I based a lot of my talk uh, on his uh, work to here. And, uh, and he says this, dating is essentially a 20th century invention but whether we like it or not, most of us who want to get married have to figure out how to date successfully. Even if dating is a worldly notion which some Christians will be uncomfortable, 
it is nonetheless something that most of us can't simply kiss goodbye. And, uh, you know, if, if any of you are of my generation, you know, uh, maybe in the 90s or whatever, there was a book by Joshua Harris, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, uh, kind of like an anti-dating book, trying to, um, you know, calling it a courtship, you know, the modern day, you know, uh, evangelical courtship movement. And uh, th there was a lot of pitfalls. There were, there were some kind of extra biblical uh, things that were put in there that I think were, were not helpful to helping young people um, get married in a, in, a, in a good, godly way. And he's, by the way, recently repented of his writing. He, if if, if uh, the, the editions are all sold out, he, he asked the publishers not to republish it. And there's even a, um, a documentary about, about uh, some of the, the, uh, the hardships that people experienced as a result of that book. So, so that's why I think um, when we actually look at the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about Christian dating and, and how to actually find the right man or woman uh, to marry. And so this is, this is Phillips's way of saying whatever you call the premarital relationship, it is a kind of dating, however, however you want to slice it. So let's begin. Uh, in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it is relevant to every aspect and every area of our life, including dating. And when we apply what the scriptures teach about the greatest commandments, right? Who remembers what the greatest commandments are? Right? What's, what is the greatest commandment? Okay. And what's, what's the, the one like unto it? That's right. When you apply that to every relationship, everything you do, it's going to completely change your idea of dating, right? We have to do it differently than the uh, non-believing cultures around us. It's no longer about me, right? Like, what? let me find the person who, who will fulfill me, complete me, make me happy, give me what I want, treat me the way that I think I should be treated. But it's not about God. God is not in the picture, right? But he should be. We have to honor him first in everything that we do. And then when we do that, we're, doing, um, we're obeying the Lord, and in the end, the Lord's will is always better, always better. Um, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us have gone our own way. Um, we do that because we turn away from what the Lord commands us to do. We also, do, we also date by faith, right? I think sometimes we don't emphasize that as much. We don't we date by faith to the glory of God, and we put the other person, you know, the possible candidate in this premarital relationship, we put them before ourselves. And that means, and here's the thing, it means that if you go on a few dates, or, or maybe you go on, have a relationship with, with uh, a, a, a person, a young man or young woman, then we have to, we have to honor the Lord first, and that if it doesn't work out, both of you guys can say it was a God-honoring blessing and experience to have known and to have, have uh, 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 dated you for however long it was, rather than tears and broken hearts, right? Because I think if, if our hearts are broken, I think we did it the wrong way. If, uh, if, we, if, we, if it's awkward after it doesn't work out and, uh, or, or, or we didn't follow the Lord and we didn't put him first in the relationship, um, you know, it's, it wasn't as God, Christ-centered and God-honoring as it could have been. 
And so we need to do it in an edifying way. And so, Pastor James, how do we do that? We take what the Bible says about the marriage relationship, okay, and we work backwards and apply the truths to the dating relationship. Because how do you, it's not as if the relationship of marriage all of a sudden um, begins. There has to be a context in which um, certain characteristics are built so that when marriage happens, it's a seamless transition, a good seamless transition uh, with particular um, uh, deep changes once the marriage has begun. Um, Rick Phillips says this, we take the biblical principles of a healthy marriage and work backwards to a healthy dating relationship. The foundations for a healthy godly marriage begin while dating. So how do we do that? We do that with a... uh, um, let me begin with a general overview of what the Bible teaches regarding marriage and, and then work backwards, right? So I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about marriage and then apply that to what that would look like pre-marriage, okay? Uh, when God created Adam and Eve, he made them to complement each other. Uh, it was not good for the man to be alone, and I know that this uh, earlier today, it was like, you know, Paul said it's, it's better to be like me, and, and, uh, and that's true. Uh, but at the same time, it's a creation ordinance, that it wasn't, it wasn't good for the man to be alone uh, in, in this created order. And so he took a bone from, from Adam's side to make a helpmate for himself, and he called her Eve. And, and there, that's when we read verse 23, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And, uh, and they weren't just the first man and woman. They were also the first husband and wife. That's why in the very next verse in Genesis 24, Three, uh, 224, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That that's, that's, was put in uh, at the, just when, when Eve was, was created, and that, was, and that to, to me says that God, God saw this as a, uh, a creation of the first marriage as well as the first couple. So it's a creation ordinance designed by God for our good. And this means three things in marriage, which becomes the building blocks for a healthy dating relationship. Um, first, it is a marriage is a covenant characterized by commitment. Okay? A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves, the old King James says, and, and holds fast to his wife. If marriage is an exclusive commitment to each other, then dating means it is the beginning process of greater and greater commitment towards absolute exclusive covenant commitment in marriage. Does that make sense? That, uh, so for example, maybe if you were to put, put the uh, commitment level of the first date, like let's just say you go on your first date, uh, whatever context that is, you, you know, out of 10, it would be like a 0.5, right? 0.5 or one. Very low commitment because you barely know the person. Uh, but as you move along, you give more and more of your time. You get to know the person. You trust them more. You get to know them better. Uh, you give them more of, more, more of your commitment. And so you move, 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 move towards. And then you get married, and it's already, it becomes a 10. You, 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 you commit with them for life. Right, so so how weird would it be if like you met your your wife for the first time on your wedding day, you know it just it just doesn't make sense. So so wisdom tells us that 
there has to be a process in which we grow in commitment so that we're able to, to actually make the commitment to say, I do. Um, and so then you get to that point in marriage where you've, you're, you've begun the process little by little to, to, to leave your mom and, and dad, to kind of start moving out of that, that sense of, of uh, being part of one household. Just little, you know, just little. It doesn't mean you're breaking it. It just means you're, you're exploring, you're kind of growing wings. And then as you're doing that, you're, you're moving your way towards cleaving, holding fast to your wife. Um, and that's when the marriage uh, commitment is, is fully made. And so, uh, now in addition to the commitment, there's, marriage is also characterized by intimacy, right? That the two shall become one flesh, they were both naked and they felt no shame. And so God made Adam and Eve to fit together intimately in marriage. And this is why it is, it is only in the covenant commitment of marriage that full full body and soul human intimacy is realized. It is only when that commitment is made till death do us part can you have the fullness of intimacy, right? So again, you know, zero, you know, zero to 10, where marriage, you know, intimacy is 10, but you got to start somewhere, right? There's, and so intimacy pre-marriage is a, is, a, is a kind of growing in your understanding, in your compassion, getting to know the other person, starting to share who you are, share your, 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 uh, hu- your um, sense of humor, to share your thoughts and dreams and aspirations, to share your faith, to share what you think the Lord wants you to do with the person who may be the, the one that, that you share it with. And, uh, and so dating towards marriage uh, is an ever-increasing amount of sharing as a part of the larger umbrella of intimacy. And, um, and so, so then we, we get to know a person enough so that then we can make a well-informed decision to commit and, uh, and to give our whole lives to the other person in intimacy. So then it goes without saying that, that all of this includes a prudent sharing in proportion to our commitment. So, um, so the more you commit to each other in that premarital dating relationship, the more you will share. Um, and of course, there has to be a holy, a holy prudence and, and healthy caution towards towards. Uh, greater physical and emotional affection and intimacy. Let me just say here that there is Christian liber- liberty in things like, like showing affection, physical affection and touch. You know, I'm not saying you can't hold hands or, or kiss or embrace. The scriptures call us to, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, I'm not saying that that's what you should do on a date, but, uh, but, but physical touch and, you know, and, and kind of relative warmth of relationship is spoken of in scripture. And, uh, and even Jesus, let, uh, he let a prostitute uh, wash his feet. I mean, you know, that, that, that just shows that there's, you know, that there's a lot to it. And, uh, and every couple must seek to please God first and not give in to the lust of the flesh and of their eyes. 
Um, and so I, I would say keep the, the physical affection. Uh, this is just, a, a, uh, just advice, you know, not, not a law, but, but keep the physical affection uh, to what you would be comfortable doing, say, in front of close friends, godly Christian friends that you could be accountable to, uh, maybe even in front of your parents, a hug, holding hands, or, or, even the, or the kind of physical affection that you might be free to give if you had a, a boyfriend or girlfriend and you guys went to church together. But if you don't feel comfortable doing that and you end up doing it, doing the same thing when you're alone with the other person, uh, don't do it. Um, uh, and, um, and what's interesting is like, uh, I remember asking my mom when I was young, like, you know, because I never saw my parents kiss, like growing up ever. I mean, it wasn't until like, after I'd left college, never kiss. And I was like, Mom, Dad, like all my friends, their parents kiss. And, and did you guys ever kiss? And my, my mom was like, no, we, we don't do that. You know, we, we don't do that. I never did that when, we were, when I was dating your father. And, and uh, my, mom, my mom, and I said, why? And my mom's like, well, kissing leads to other things. And, uh, and so it's, it, it, it's, just, it, it's just kind of general prudence. Uh, to uh, to um, keep 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 yourselves accountable by you know um, uh, constraining your your physical affections to to if if you know if you knew God if if you knew God was watching you and, and He is you know you would relegate it to to have a clear conscience before the Lord um, and then uh, think in terms of how it can contribute to the growth of a holy relationship and not gratifying the self. That's the thing. You know, m many of us want to, you know, kind of push the envelope and be like, oh, pastor, you know, how far can I go and be okay? And I'm like, no, that's, that's the wrong question. You know, sometimes we ask questions like that uh, because we want to see how far we can gratify ourselves without, you know, sinning. And for, for, for me, it's, it's a matter of the heart. Like, um, do you want to gratify yourself to, uh, you know, in these ways? And and, uh, or do you want to contribute to the holiness of the one that you're, you're dating? But uh, at the end, it's a matter of, of the heart, not a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, thirdly, marriage is characterized by an interdependence, right? If the wife is a helpmeet, then they complement each other to fulfill their tasks together, one flesh and body and soul, but also in life and work. So in dating... In dating with a view towards marriage, a couple must seek to grow more and more in cooperation and in complementing each other. They will appreciate and complement their differences, help each other grow in faith, work together towards shared goals. Well, let me put it this way. If you can't work together uh, when you're dating, uh, how can you expect to work together in marriage? And this is why I think the best way to start dating is to find a ministry in a local church and see how you work well together. Um, if you work well with someone, take it as God's providence for the possibility of future ministry in God's kingdom. Um, and now, and this, is, this speaks to the mission, the mission of dating, the mission of the Christian life, the mission of marriage is for the work of the kingdom of God. Um, and I'll get into this later, but but another pet peeve that I have about singles in, in, in the church today 
you know, is the Lord said this. The Lord said, don't be anxious about anything. What shall we eat or, or drink or what shall we wear? To which then we can, he, we can add as an application, you know, who will we marry? I think many times we go into this um, kind of this uh, inner angst and anxiety about who am I going to marry? You know, I didn't find a date and whatever, like, you know, am I going to be alone all my life? And the Lord says, don't be anxious about that. The Lord will provide, right? Jesus said the Gentiles, right, uh, apart from faith in Christ, they seek after those things as an end to themselves. And I think, I think when anxiety about future relationships and maybe even a date and a dating, it speaks to maybe kind of, you know, the area in which you're not giving, you're not trusting the Lord with it. Um, and so, so God knows you need them and he'll provide them in time. But, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Right? So what does that mean? Right? Do you see what Jesus is saying here about founding, finding a spouse, right? if, that, if you're seeking that? Seek first the glory of God. Do the work of the kingdom. Serve the Lord and his people first. And while you're doing that, here's the thing, while you're doing that, while you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God will provide everything for you, including a spouse. Um, sometimes, you know, when, when we, see, we're, we're, sometimes we kind of turn this whole thing around upside down, it's like, seek, seek first my kingdom and my, my happiness and everything else will be added um, and uh, we, have to, we have to go back to seeking first God's kingdom. And so this is why I think serving the Lord in a church or a wider ministry of churches is a very good way, is a very good way to find a future spouse. It's a, a very good way. Um, and, uh, and I'd encourage uh, many of you, all of you, to do that. And of course you can meet a fine Christian spouse in other contexts, but even then, you should see if, uh, if you can serve the Lord together with that person. Um, and this is why Paul tells Christians not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers because they will never be able to serve the Lord in the way that you serve the Lord. You must be equally yoked with believers in order to do the work of the kingdom and to serve the Lord. Paul says, marry only in the Lord because God seeks first his own glory. And you, you can't do that with your spouse if your spouse doesn't have the same mission and goal in mind, to seek the glory of God. And the point I want to make in all of this is that the Bible is the sufficient word for faith and godliness, including finding a godly spouse in God's providence. So pray. Pray for your future spouse. Pray for the one that you're dating. Pray for, and parents, you can pray for uh, the future spouse for your children even now. And you even, you know, pray for them afterwards, right? Their whole lives. But, but in particular, pray for them. Um, and so we need to see the dating relationship in this, this, this way, the premarital relationship to God's glory. And if the scripture shows us what a godly marriage ought to look like in Christ, then we need to incorporate them into a healthy dating relationship. An ever-increasing movement towards commitment and intimacy and independence to where the trajectory of the dating relationship 
will confidently lead you to a godly, Christ-centered marriage. In other words, you see the road that you are going to take with this person that you're dating, and it leads straight to the glory of God. You see? Uh, if, it, if it starts to, to wander and meander, and, it's, and, and you don't know if it's going to be, you know, you don't know that you're going to grow with this person in faith. You don't know that they're going to follow the Lord and serve the Lord with you. Um, it should be easy to say, you know, I, I, you know, the Lord wants me to find somebody who can serve the Lord, uh, you know, uh, together. So, so now, now let me give you some, some, um, some thoughts on the pitfall, pitfalls of dating. Those were just kind of a, an overall overarching gen, uh, biblical theology of dating. So let me just talk about the, the practical pitfalls of dating. When a, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, we all fell with them. We all became sinners in need of salvation. Our hearts, mind, will, and life all fell into sin, and everything got turned upside down and topsy-turvy, and this opened us up for distorting everything in life toward ourself, toward sin and alienation, rather than righteousness, holiness, and godliness to the glory of God. And so this is why after Adam and Eve fell uh, into sin, they ran away from God. They hid from each other. And this is why each of them then pointed their finger at the other, right? God asked them, what happened? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? And, there, and, and what did Adam say? He's like, or what did Eve say? It was, just, it was the serpent. And, uh, and what, did, what did Adam say? It was the woman that you gave me. They're all pointing fingers at each other, running away from each other. And that was the beginning of the enmity with God and with one another. And in a sense, it became the first divorce, if you will, uh, that brought about the first redemption of marriage. And so God, God in a picture of what, what would come in the gospel, he sacrificed an animal, he sacrificed an animal, and covered both of them with, with the skin. And I, and I think, uh, if I remember correctly, that the, that the, uh, the word there is, is, is one animal. And so they were covered together with one skin. That it is a redeeming of their marriage relationship. And, um, and it foreshadows the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who not only redeems and reconciles us to God, but to one another. And so God even redeemed that first marriage in Christ. And, and so a healthy dating relationship must be saturated in the environment of the grace of the gospel and of our redemption in Christ. If a Christian marriage must reflect, it, it must reflect a Christian, uh, must reflect Christ and his bride, then what happens with the glue that holds a Christian marriage together is the power of the gospel. And that power needs to, to begin to resonate in the relationship during the dating relationship. Do you see that? And so what does that mean? Let me go into some of the, the, um, some of the pitfalls here. It means putting God first and foremost in your heart, or else you can easily turn a relationship into an idol. Without meaning to, it's so easy to see singleness as a curse, and I like how, how Pastor Matt talked about that uh, earlier, that one of the worst things in our culture, and, and, and sometimes we don't, we, don't, we don't say it this way, but we kind of, sometimes we make single people feel this way, and we need to change that, is that, oh, there's something wrong with you, you're single. Like, it's not a curse. And I'm glad that uh, Pastor Matt talked about a biblical theology of singleness. Um, it was Jesus... There was nothing wrong with Jesus. He was single all his earthly ministry. 
Um, and in our day and age, I think, um, you know, we feel this culturally as well. We look in, in, a, in an increasingly secular world where the idea of finding meaning and identity and hope and uh, in life used to be, in, a, in some way, people would, would look to religion and they would look to God for a meaning outside of themselves. Uh, but when you take God out of the equation in the cultural and social um, uh, uh, areas of our lives, then, then we, are, we as worshiping people, we're, our hearts are, are idle factories. What's going to happen is we're going to put that same hope and meaning and identity into someone or something else. And this is what uh, uh, Tim Keller calls apocalyptic romance, is that if, if we take our meaning and we, we, we separate it from, from finding meaning in God, then we're going to then look for something else to find our meaning. And in our culture, we try to find our meaning and hope in another person. If I, if I only find my soulmate, if I only find the right person, if I only marry the right person, then I will be happy and everything will be great. Happily ever after, thank you. But, but then what happens is we find out they're not as perfect as you thought they were. They're sinners. They, uh, they, they fall short of your, own, your, your requirements, and then we become even more hurt, even more disenchanted, even more broken. And, um, and so we even turn romance and marriage into an idol. And uh, when we put all of our hopes and dreams for happiness on that other person, uh, again, they'll devastate us. We'll be devastated if, if they disappoint us. But at the same time, it will crush the other person because no one person ought to bear the burden of our eternal happiness. It will crush them. It will crush them. So, example, so for, exa for example, when we turn a boyfriend or a girlfriend into an idol, uh, one of the things that, that we can do is we can overlook their flaws. We can try to hide our own, Right? Um, and when they disappoint us or we disappoint them, it devastates the, 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 the relationship. And, uh, and, and, and it was because they didn't put God first. They put themselves first. And as the hymn says, all other ground is sinking sand. It's just a matter of time you're going to have a difficult dating relationship. It's just a matter of time you're going to have a difficult marriage when God was never in the picture and you built your, your house on, on sand. But if we put God first and see everything else in its right order and relationship and priority, then we can truly be ourselves and not be afraid. We can see how, we can say, yeah, yeah, you know, you know I've, I've, I've got sins that I'm struggling with, you know, but I'm not going to lie and, try and pretend that I don't have any. Um, I, I'm kind of dorky. I, I make some funny, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm a little socially awkward, but God loves me. He accepts me. He loves me as his son and daughter. And so if, if a, a boy or a girl rejects you, you're not devastated. Um, we can see everything clearly in relationship to the Lord. So we can be realistic about being sinners in need of the gospel. We can acknowledge that, that we can't save one another by a relationship. You know? We can't save each other from loneliness. Only the Lord can do that. Uh, that's a really big fit, 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 pitfall that we're lonely and we need someone to rescue us. But we don't look to the Lord. We look to, to, the, to another, uh, another person. 
And, uh, and then we'll find out it hurts even more when we're still lonely or as lonely. Only Jesus can fulfill that loneliness. And it has the added benefit of infusing a deeper sense of our own sins and flaws and shortcomings while at the same time accessing the ever greater resources of God's grace to forgive and heal and grow in love. And I'm going to touch on that in a moment. I'm going to talk uh, uh, about that, uh, about the idea that, that, uh, that one of the most important ways that, that the gospel helps us grow in, in not only in grace but in love for, for our future spouse possibly is that he who is forgiven much loves much. And so you need to learn how to, to confess your sin, forgive and reconcile, and then begin to grow in a deeper gospel-centered way in that relationship. And it doesn't just apply to marriage there. Um, so when you begin that gospel dynamic in the dating relationship, as you realize that the other person is a sinner just like you, and the more you experience God's love together in the gospel, the more easily you will confess, repent, and forgive, and then your, your, your love will truly grow. I don't think we think about that. That, that, that that's the, the wonderful gospel principle that, you know, that the one who forgives much loves much. And, um, and I, know, I know for a fact that Taylor loves me very deeply because <laughs> she has forgiven me in so many ways. I'm very thankful to her. But if you try to hide or try to brush your sins and wrongs, that you commit against the other person and pretend that they weren't there, that they didn't happen, you paper over them because you're afraid you might hurt the feelings of the other person and, and they won't be interested in, in you anymore, then you absolutely cannot grow in love. If you've never had to extend forgiveness to the person that you're dating, then your love will only grow as deep as, as, many, as much as you forgive. And if you haven't forgiven, it's not that deep. It's not a real Christ-centered love if you've never forgiven them of, uh, of a wrong that they committed against you. But if you can forgive them, then by definition, your love grows. And uh, so, so when I counsel young couples preparing for marriage, I ask them, when was the last time you guys got in a fight? And how did you make up? And uh, when, when the couple say, oh, you know, we've never fought, then I'm like, Ooh, uh-oh, like, okay, then, um, so, and then, when, then I push a little harder, and they're like, okay, okay, we, we fought here and there, and, and, uh, and that's one of the, the telltale signs of, of, of uh, learning to grow in love, is when you can extend that forgiveness and grace. So, here, um, let me give some really practical tips to help you find your future Mr. and Mrs. Christian Wright. First, don't wait for the one who is going to knock you silly or sweep you off your feet. That is a Hollywood lie. That is a Hollywood lie, an illusion to find your quote-unquote soulmate. There's only one Messiah in the Bible and everyone else is more or less compatible. Don't pine for an unrealistic prince or princess charming, look around, look around down to earth for fallible yet genuine Christian single men and women right in front of you. I feel like, I feel like, like single people in our churches, I feel like 
Everybody's, all the single people are walking around with binoculars looking for Mr. and Mrs. Wright. And then they're like, there's like Mrs. Wright, our future Mrs. Wright right in front of you, but you can't see them because you got binoculars. Take them off and see the people right in front of you as possible uh, uh, mates. And, uh, and uh, Taylor, Taylor, she used to hate me for being this unromantic. But I, but I think this is what the Bible teaches. You know, dating with the goal of marriage. You never find Miss, Mr. or Mrs. Wright until you find Mr. and Mrs. I do. See that? So, so fish or cut bait, okay? Um, so, uh, and let me give you one testimony. You know, one person was just, was serious and mature, and he says, I pursued her, this, this, this uh, godly Christian woman, I pursued, pre- pursued her for marriage and I didn't look back. The day I married Beth, she became the one. See, I, I think looking for the one is a Hollywood lie, but once, once, once you say I do, she is the one. Um, secondly, redefine what you think is attractive. Redefine what you think is attractive. Sometimes we, you know, the, the the, the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed um, to the world, but be transformed. And I think we, we apply that to all of these other things except our expectations of future, future mates. Some people are attracted to good looks or reputation or education or something more socially accepted. Uh, you, know, they have a, they have a, um, you know, they have all of these things that make them attractive. Uh, but Jesus isn't the, first, isn't the first thing that comes to their mind about them. Lisa Anderson, a director for Youth Ministries for Focus on the Family, who also is on staff at a PCA church in Colorado Springs, she wrote an excellent practical book on dating, and I'll, I'll, I uh, encourage you, you know, to, to uh, take a look at it too, in addition to, to Rick Phillips' book. It's called um, The Dating Manifesto, and she says this, maybe it's time we took this whole idea of attractiveness back and made it more than a shallow Um, standard of attraction because you know what maturity is attractive forget what all the rappers and teen idols so third is distinction and direction in dating okay now I'm going to touch some nerves here I think men and women make sure you are actually dating don't fall into the trap of the undefined spend time together without any labels thing dating is not just hanging out one-on-one as I'd mentioned, it's the, inten- in- the initiation, nurture, and growth of an intentional relationship toward the goal of marriage. Now, saying yes, of course, doesn't mean um, it doesn't mean that you should start planning your wedding. Uh, it should have the trajectory of ever-increasing commitment, intimacy, and interdependence. Dating without a destination is simply a, lo- a ship lost in the vast ocean of I don't know what we are. Uh, like a GPS, you have to punch in where you want to go in order for everything to go, to, to know how to get there. And so dating with the intention, of, at least early on, to say, I want to get to know someone, I want to get to know you better, but at some point, very soon after that, you have to say, boom, like, like we're, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do it towards the progression, towards the goal of marriage. Uh, and then that the moment we dis- we realize that it's not going to be a good thing, then you, and you end it. Um, 
And so uh, this is why I recommend people um, not to date until they can reasonably be near marrying age. This is, this is the when should I get married, right? Uh, it, it means that a, a 16-year-old who could barely drive, let alone keep a job and pay rent, I think it's not advisable to date because um, they, until they can get married in the near future. So like, for example, if, if there's a 16-year-old young man who's going to vocational school and he's going to He's going to uh, uh, have a job when he's done, when he turns 18, and he can start paying bills and has his own car or maybe an apartment. Then, yeah, right? But if you're in high school um, and you have to ask mom and dad for money to go out on the date, I don't think so. <laughs> it spares the young people the heartache of overly long relationships that can lead to all kinds of temptations and sins and hurts. This is why the Westminster divines in their larger, shorter, larger catechism, under the, seventh, under the seventh commandment not to commit adultery, they say, undo delay marriage as sin. So, uh, and so this is not a hard and fast rule, but if a young man can reasonably get married in the near future, I'm not going to give a window, uh, then I think a young man, a young man and young woman can start dating. Uh, and the same goes for, for young ladies. Um, okay, so don't get, now this, fourthly, don't get stuck in the dreaded friendlationship. Lisa Anderson tells the story of a, of, of a young couple, Ben and Ashley. They become be best, best friends at church. They hang out a lot. They go to movies together. They have inside jokes. But Ashley starts to have feelings for Ben. He's sweet, funny, and not so bad looking. And one day she falls for Ben hard. They even look at engagement rings for fun as best friends. <laughs> and Ashley wonders, Ashley wonders, when is Ben going to make his move? Then one night as they're hanging out, Ben asks Ashley for advice. Sure, Ashley says, ask me anything. And Ben asks, what do you think of Kate? The new girl at church. Ashley asks, what about her? Ben answers, well, I think I'm going to ask her out. Ashley, dear friends, is in a friendlationship. She doesn't know whether to fake calmness or burst into tears. How could you? This is when a young man and young woman become close friends, but one of them secretly, secretly likes the other, and the other one secretly knows, but is stringing her along until something better comes along. That's a friendlationship. The other one has no idea, or maybe the other one has no idea and thinks they're just friends. And Anderson says this, evaluate the time you spend with the opposite sex, particularly those you may be attracted to. Are you hanging on with, a, with a little to no encouragement? Move on and save yourself, uh, save yourself from a fr friend relationship or worse. And I'll confess as a young Christian, among my peers, I've seen my, my fair share of friend relationships with Ben's and Ashley's. So I just, just wanted to, to encourage you in that way. So here, let me uh, give you a quick list of five attributes of a future godly spouse that you ought to, you ought to be. Now here, here, let me just stop here. These are five attributes that you ought to be in order then to recognize them in someone else, right? You will never know what it means to be godly if you are not godly yourself, right? Attracted 
Um, if, you, if you're not attractive in terms of your, your faith and, and your, your life with Christ, you'll never see that in another, another person. So here they are. Uh, first, they must be serious about following Jesus. Not, not, not just a lukewarm believer, not maybe. Let them be hot. Hot for Jesus. You know, on fire. Um, read, how, how, here, here's something, here's one. Redefine, redefine attractiveness in terms of holiness so that holiness becomes hotness. Commit, and secondly, commit to the commit to the life of a local church. Right? If you can commit to, to loving your fellow brothers and sisters and family in Christ, if you love other sinners saved by grace in church, then you can do that more and more in really deep Christian ways um, in, a da- in dating. So commit yourself to the Lord's Day services. Commit to Sunday school or Bible study. Commit to the means of grace. Commit to the old and young, to the married and singles, to the authority of the under-shepherds in your church, to pastors and elders. Be a contributor, not a, not a consumer. Um, be sacrificial, not superficial. Be a servant, not one who, de- who demands to be served. That's the character of the true spouse who committed himself to, to who, who committed himself to sinners to save them, to serve and not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's really what it is to be more Christ-like there. Third, take responsibility for your maturity. Right? Learn life skills. Don't spend 12 hours a day on Xbox. Um, get a job. Take ownership of your maturity and ask God. Ask your parents. Ask older, mature Christians to shepherd you more and more into godly maturity. Right? Maturity is, 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 is caught as well as taught. Fourth, learn to serve where you are. If you seek God's, first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then he will add everything else unto you. Um, fifth, follow the pattern of gospel risk and reception. For men, one of the ways we begin to take on the leadership of a husband is humbling ourselves like Jesus and risk rejection and boldly ask a girl out. Future husbands begin leading in the dating relationship by asking. And nurturing a safe environment of commitment, intimacy, and interdependence. The woman then who trusts the Lord will trust the Lord by waiting for the man to initiate. See, if 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 the, if a guy if, if there's a guy you like or whatever, and he will he doesn't ask you out. If he can't lead by simply asking a girl out, he's not going to be a leader. Um, if a guy doesn't have enough backbone to ask a girl out. Uh, he does, he's, he's just not going to lead well. Um, and, uh, and also, you, know, you, need to, you need to have a safe environment for the, for, uh, of the man's commitment and intimacy and interdependence. Then the woman can see if the guy is worth following and submitting to as a future husband. See, if you begin to lead well, and, and the, 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 for men... For, for men, if you're, you lead well in a dating relationship and, and the girl feels safe and secure, she, she doesn't, she's not, if she gives you your heart, she doesn't feel like she's gambling. You know, that's, that's the way you, you lead well in godliness in, in a dating relationship. And then also be approachable, young ladies. Be approachable and available to have one-on-one conversations with young men. Um, of course, you know, in a setting, right, like in a public setting, like, you know, two people are standing over there talking in, in, in a crowd. Because, and I say this because um, 
when, and Taylor's going to kill me for, for telling this story, but um, there was a small group of singles in our church in La Jolla, and, and Taylor, you know, I, and I was single, and I kind of saw Taylor, and I thought she was, she was good looking, and, and uh, so I wanted to get to know her better, and so I wanted to talk to her, and so she would move from groups of people to other people, and I wanted some one-on-one time to kind of talk to get to know her better, so I followed her a little bit to each of these little groups, and, uh, and t- Taylor to this day will say that I stalked her, uh, and, uh, but, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll take that, and I'll say, I'll, you know, uh, I was, and I realized that I was trying to get to know her better, and, but she wasn't giving me the chance because she wasn't, she was going from group to group, and so, uh, so all, the lesson here is, young ladies, don't don't make the guy stalk you. Just just take your time to go from one group to another, and then while in between, let the guy come in and go, hey, you know, I want to get to know you better. Um, so, so here are five questions, and I'm just about done. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm gone a little long. Uh, five questions to ask about a guy or a gal as you consider their dateability slash marriageability. Is he or she a true disciple of Christ with a clear profession of faith? You know, it's not a question mark. Or maybe they haven't made profession of faith. You better make sure. Um, is he or she a true disciple of Christ with a clear profession of faith? Is he or she actively growing in their faith, not stagnant or questionable? Is he or she in a position to marry? Right? Like I said, again, a job. You know, they, can, they can support uh, a marriage, and they don't have to ask mom and dad for, for money uh, to go on a date. Is he or she humble and teachable? Is he or she have a similar calling or has a calling that you can join? Right? Um, and, uh, and I was just very thankful that when, when, uh, when Taylor and I were dating, I was like, you know, I don't know if there's, if, uh, who'd want to marry a future pastor? And and I, and I relegated myself to, like, not dating during seminary. But, you know, Taylor is, was just so godly. And, she, you know, when I told her I want to be a pastor, it was, she was like, I, 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 think, I think, this is the way I like to think, is that she's like, oh, it makes him even hotter, you know. <laughs> is, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be a pastor. So all, all that is to say, you know, if, if someone wants to, if somebody wants to, uh, if somebody wants to, um, you know, do some kind of, like, I don't know, Go, go skydiving, you know, and, and pull the parachute the last minute, you know, that, it's, that you don't know if they're going to live or die while they're doing their job. I mean, that's, that's, you can think about that too. Um, so let me end with this final thought. All of this is to say that, that even the gospel ought to inform the way in which we date because the whole gospel, in a, in a sense, is when Jesus came down he who was rich became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. He came down, was in the fullness of time, was born of a woman, born under the law to save those who are under the law. He came as a young man preaching the kingdom of God. And what is, what is uh, responding to the call of the gospel than the beginning of a real relationship with him? In a sense, Jesus came to initiate a premarital relationship by calling sinners to repent and to, to confess and put their faith in him. And, and he knew he, he wanted to, to cleanse this woman, to, to win her, to sacrifice and to die and to give himself for her so that he might 
so that she might become his bride and she would say, I do. The whole of the gospel is a dating relationship consummated with marriage. And we ought to conduct ourselves in that same Christ-like manner so that when you do find Mr. and Mrs. Wright, it's because you find Mr. and Mrs. I do in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for, for the gospel that shows us how to be married, but also to show us how to, how to find a, a spouse. Help us then to be wise. I pray for our young people that some of the most important decisions and choices that they will make regards to this area of their life. I pray that each and every one of them would put their faith in Jesus Christ and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness in all that they do, including finding that future helpmate, if it be your will. We ask, O oh Lord, all of these things for the glory of Jesus. Amen.